This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes on the road yet again, following politicians around. And I understand you got to have some one-on-one -on -one man time with Donald Trump. You must still be giddy like a schoolgirl, Steve. <laughs> well, I was at the uh, I was at the uh, Family Leader Summit in Ames, Iowa, this weekend, where Donald Trump made his comments uh, that John McCain was not a war hero, and then said. He was a war hero, but implied he was only a war hero because he'd been captured and then said that he preferred uh, soldiers who hadn't been captured. So it was sort of a, a one, two, three punch from Trump, um, who then came down and met the press uh, at a holding room down below the stage and refused to back down, refused to apologize and really, in a sense, doubled down on what he had said. You know, I asked him if he, uh, if he was going to apologize and he said, no, I asked him if he had ever read any accounts of McCain's time in captivity before declaring that he wasn't a war hero. And Trump said, uh, it's irrelevant was his quote to me. So it was, a, it was, I think it's fair to say it was a fiery exchange. I want to, yeah, it's gotten a lot of attention because you kept trying to get him to restate what he had just stated on stage and he declined to do that. Uh, why? Well, I think because what he had stated on stage was totally indefensible and intellectually incoherent. I mean, it doesn't make sense that that you're only a war hero if you get captured. I mean, it's you know, it's it's almost pointless to to try to make sense out of something that that Trump says, uh, particularly <laughs> on something like this, because there's no coherent thinking behind it. He's angry at John McCain because McCain labeled the people uh, who came to a Trump rally in Arizona as crazies, um, which I don't think McCain should have said, and I don't think is accurate. There are a lot of people in the Republican Party right now who are angry about Washington and angry about the way that Washington uh, Republicans in particular have handled themselves over the past several years. And I think they're right to be angry to a certain extent. But, you know, the idea that you go from there to suggesting that, that one of the greatest war heroes of our generation or of, of, of you know, the last 50 years is not, in fact, a war hero is preposterous. And this is the question I have because no one, I, I stand second to no man in my loathing of John McCain as a politician. Uh, I've, freak, you know, I've, I've we've talked about it on this podcast that he's only happy when he's attacking other Republicans. So I have no love loss for John McCain, but his service, you know, in the military is just so tremendous. Do you think Donald Trump, I'm, I'm wondering when you were interviewing one-on-one, -on -one, did you get the sense of him kind of interior eye-rolling going, can you believe the rubes are falling for this? Or did you get the sense of a guy who really means this and is prepared to fight and die on this hill because it's an important issue to him? 
No, I mean, I don't think, first of all, my, my exchange with Trump came at a, at a press conference. I don't want to give you the impression that it came in a one-on-one interview. Um, I don't think Trump would submit to one of those with me. Um, secondly, no, I mean, there's no thought behind what Trump does from one moment to another. He's, he's like a gnat on rotting fruit. He just flits from, from place to place and, you know, doesn't, there's no real rationale behind what he's saying at all. So the question is, have we hit peak Donald Trump, Steve Hayes? I mean, you've been, you were out on the stump. You saw him out stumping. Uh, my understanding is that the crowd didn't really enjoy what he had to say about John McCain. Will this be the silver bullet that brings him down? I think eventually it probably will, or it'll be this in combination of a number of other things uh, that he will say in the coming days and weeks. Um, I, you know, when I was watching him, I was in the second floor balcony watching Trump performance and certainly it took many members of the audience aback. There was a woman behind me who, who sort of gasped audibly and said, that's despicable. And uh, others booed when Trump said this. Um, I think others didn't quite understand what was happening, but I think as this sinks in, people will take this and, and, and look at it in combination with the facts that. You know, this is a guy who's to the left of Obama on health care, uh, the guy who called George W. Bush evil, a guy who's embraced Hillary Clinton, who's given her money, who's praised her up and down, who praised Nancy Pelosi. I mean, the idea that Donald Trump is going to be the spokesman for the conservative movement is uh, is just absurd. And eventually that will happen. I would not be surprised, however, if in the short term, this actually wins him support. If you just look at the responses, certainly that I've gotten um, to the piece I wrote for the Weekly Standard and, and sort of more broadly on Twitter and elsewhere. And of course, it's always important not to overread feedback that you get on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, but you have people who are adamantly defending Trump for the comments, um, saying they don't care about McCain's war record because he's been such a rhino. Uh, Trump is is right to to bring him down. Um, He's speaking to a certain segment of the American electorate, and I think at some point they'll wise up. I'm not sure that point will come very soon. You know, there's an interesting conversation going on, uh, and it goes something like this, that there's a certain segment of the Republican electorate that doesn't deserve to be taken seriously, that somehow they have talked themselves into this cul-de-sac of, if I can just be the angriest, most off-putting jerk in the room, that makes me a better person than everyone else. And anything I do that would cause someone to, oh, say, want to vote my way, something you know, persuasive, you know, outreaching <laughs> out, forget that. I'm sticking with Donald Trump, insulting veterans, the Confederate battle flag, and you know, dead black teenagers in the streets. And that's, that's my fight. And if you're not with me on that fight, forget you. You're just a rhino. And that the GOP and conservative media in particular, you know, have got this problem on their hands, some of it self-inflicted. That's a very interesting uh, question. Uh, You know, on the one hand, it certainly shouldn't be the case that that Republican politicians or conservative media or others follow, uh, you know, allow their, their, what they're saying or what they believe to be dictated by um, these sort of bitter enders. Um, But at the same time, I don't think the number of people who fit in that category is really very large. Um, if you look at the sort of broad conservative coalition, conservative movement, I think the vast majority of conservatives, uh, you know, would not fall in that category and are not just oppositionists to be uh, oppositional, but are conservatives who are concerned about the direction of their country. And and look, I mean, I think 
there are reasons that conservatives are upset about what's been happening in Washington. I mean, Republicans took over Congress in 2014. You would have expected them to come in with some kind of major tax reform proposal. Uh, you would have expected a more direct uh, and sustained challenge on Obamacare. Um, you know, I think they could have certainly played their cards better on this Iran deal. You had news today that uh, Mitch McConnell was going to bring up the Exim Bank, which is um, you know, languished and, and on the verge of extinction uh, for a vote over the objections of conservatives. There are reasons that conservatives are as angry as they are. I think as long as those, um, as, as long as what's motivating them is, 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 you know, philosophical differences with the way that the Republican Party is, is being run, um, at least in certain quarters and on certain issues, that's fine. That's well and good. It's a healthy debate for conservatives to have inside the movement. But it's certainly the case that you can't be, you can't have your agenda dictated by the the angriest of, of the group. And so the question still remains, which, if any, of the mainstream candidates are going to step up and seize that anger and say, I hear your message, I'm going to do something with it. I mean, it's hard to appease a group, Steve, that says that Rick Perry is a squish. When you define squish to include Rick Perry, I don't know what's left. Uh, and then you have Scott Walker, who, you know, two years ago was a conservative hero for a record of actually taking on and winning against, you know, the liberal establishment. And now he gets a shrug and a he's not a true believer either. Well, this is being obscured. This is what's being obscured by, by all of this Trump nonsense. I mean, in reality, you have in this current Republican field, I would argue, a number of highly qualified and very good potential candidates, most of whom are conservatives and are not conservatives because they think that's the way to win this election, but are thoughtful conservatives, in some cases, movement conservatives who've been thinking about these ideas for years and can can explain their worldview and, and uh, analyze problems because they've been thinking about it for uh, you know decades, because they understand these issues from an ideological perspective. I think that's all the good. I mean, as a limited government guy myself, I think that's all the good. And, and the sooner the debate focuses on those arguments and, and their different prescriptions for returning the country to some some form of limited government, the better off Republicans are going to be. In order to do that, of course, you know something Trump has to go somewhere. Uh, so you've got people like Scott Walker out on the stump trying to make their case, and now Scott Walker's in a tiff with uh, Jeb Bush regarding the Iran deal. Steve Hayes, give us the background on that. Thing, sort of slow-moving uh, argument that's been taking place over the last week since Walker announced. During his announcement speak, Walker said that he would, in effect, terminate the Iran deal on day one. And at a press availability, well, first at a town hall, then at a press availability in Carson City, Nevada, later in the week, Jeb Bush basically mocked that idea. said, look, that's not realistic. You wouldn't even have a secretary of state. You wouldn't have had the intelligence briefings you need. It's not realistic to say that you'd do this uh, on the first day, and suggested that even um, promising to do that reflects a certain lack of thoughtfulness and maturity. Well, Walker's people, in response to Bush's comments, uh, said, in fact, well, it is important to do this on day one, and it's important to send a message to Iran and the region that this deal is dead on arrival if, if uh, Scott Walker is elected president. And you've had this back and forth, um, you know, trading accusations of arguing in bad faith, and then the substantive case uh, on whether it, in fact, is possible 
just to really unravel the deal on day one and whether it's desirable to unravel the deal on day one. But it's not that that argument is just beginning. I think we'll be hearing a lot more about that in the coming days. And I expect that other candidates are likely to be asked uh, about that on the campaign trail. Uh, but does this give Scott Walker a chance to be the you know, guy who's not a softball pitching squish a la Jeb Bush and be a, you know, the guy that the uh, 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 rising right wants to see. Isn't this kind of one of his Reagan moments? I think certainly that's what Team Walker believes. Uh, I mean, I think they think this is a way to distinguish him um, from Bush and maybe from some of the other candidates. One of the things that, that Walker said in response to a question I asked him uh, again at a press conference uh, after his appearance at this family leader summit in Ames, Iowa on Saturday uh, was that, you know, the, the next president of the United States has to be open to taking aggressive action, including very possibly, he said, uh, military strikes. He, he didn't lead with military strikes. He didn't say, I'm going to walk off of uh, the inaugural podium and run to the Pentagon so that I can bomb Iran. But, it, just in these, these early hours after this story has broken, it's clear that that's what some in the mainstream media are going to suggest, that, that Walker would be an uh, eager bomber if he were president of the United States. <laughs> uh, I think that's not an accurate trail of, of how he said how he said it and why he said it. Um, but I'm not sure it would hurt him in a Republican primary. Not at all. In fact, once again, I can see the Donald Trump wing of the party saying, hey, hey, wait a minute. Here's a guy we can uh, we need to take another look at. And we'll, of course, take another look at your latest work, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. Anytime, Michael. Thanks. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.